And when they told her, her comment was, he must be told he must have time to prepare. And surely he died less than a week after she arrived there. Now, I bring this to your attention simply because death is a reality, but death for you is simply a sting. It carries with it a sting. It does not carry with it a final blow. And that's for you that find yourselves in Jesus Christ. We know that to die in Christ occasions a homecoming. We go to be with our Lord. And we can look forward to that. Paul looked forward to that. Now, as we think about God's plan for us and the fact that we enjoy God's grace in all that we do, I wanted to start you with God's plan of salvation. It's what the Reformers call the Order Salutis, Order of Salvation. And beginning with that in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul wrote this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. You've received every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ, and this is something that God established before you, before the creation of the world. Now, as God then delivers to us the blessings of grace, the blessings of, of his covenant promises, he begins with the effectual call that we each receive. That is when God simply sends the Holy Spirit into each one of us. And then the Spirit, by his power, gives us new life. We're born again. And that's what... Nicodemus was taught by Christ in John 3. You must be born again, born of water and of the Spirit. Nicodemus didn't quite understand that to begin with. That is the reality in which we find ourselves. We are born when the Holy Spirit enters us. At that time, that being born again is regeneration. We receive the saving graces of faith and repentance and by these, God unites us to Jesus Christ. We are declared righteous. In that declaration, God simply establishes the fact that we have received and rest upon Christ alone for salvation. We're made alive in Christ. And at that moment, we're also adopted so that each of you are already sons and daughters of the living God. That has been established for you when you were joined to Jesus Christ. We enjoy sanctification that Mike has talked about. That's being set apart. We are made holy in Jesus Christ because of his righteousness. But at the same time, because of the grace that is in Christ and the grace that we receive, we continue to grow in grace. Grace upon grace becomes ours in Christ. As we grow toward that day of homecoming when we, be, we will be perfected in holiness and that's the day of glorification when we join Christ and are brought into the presence of God. Now also in this order salutis we enjoy two other privileges. One is the perseverance of the saints so that when 
the Holy Spirit has entered into us, it is with the promise that he will not leave us. I will never leave you or forsake you is what Jesus has promised. That spirit has become ours just as much as, as we have become his. Now we are made holy by the word and the spirit dwelling in us. This is what we are taught in 2 Corinthians 2.13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you and saved you through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. The Spirit works in you. He brings to light the truths of Scripture in your lives. He grows you in Jesus Christ. And this is the way that God addresses each one of us as he saves us. Now, the sermon topic this morning has to do with the presence of God. And in the drawing of the confession of faith that we use, the Westminster Confession, chapter 20, in the second paragraph, dealing with of assurance of grace and salvation, has this to say. This certainty is not bare conjectural and probable persuasion grounded upon a fallible hope. But the certainty of assurance of salvation is based on an infallible assurance of faith founded on the divine truths of the promises of salvation, the inward evidences of those grace into which the promises are made, and the testimony of the spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirits that we are the children of God, which spirit is the earnest of our inheritance, whereby we are called and sealed to the day of redemption. We are certain because of the promises of God that he's made, the truth of those promises, the evidences of grace that we enjoy, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what I want to consider this morning as we talk about the presence of God in our lives. Now there is something that you ought to understand and you ought to consider, as the covenant was renewed over the years for the nation of Israel, warnings were given for those who became disobedient to God, even in light of the truths that God had revealed to them. And there's one such warning against the man. He is part of the generation that had lived for 40 years in the desert. They had watched their parents die because of unbelief. The parents had refused to go into Jordan, cross the Jordan, and go into the Promised Land when they first left Egypt. And so their children then received the blessing of going into the Promised Land. In this particular instance, Deuteronomy 29 tells us that there was a man there. He invokes a blessing on himself and therefore thinks, I will be safe even though I persist in going my own way. This man didn't trust in God. He was an Israelite. He was a member of God's chosen people, one to whom the promises and the blessings were intended. But he had turned away from God in his heart. He had seen the, the manna. He had eaten the manna in the desert. He had walked on sandals that had not worn out. He had seen the water come from the rock. 
He had seen the visible presence of God, the Shekinah glory, the, the uh, cloud during the day and the fire at night. He witnessed all these things, and yet he chose idols rather than the living God. And so the reason I bring this to your attention is simply that a man cannot be saved by hiding himself among the company of the righteous. We have in churches today all over this nation peoples who have hidden themselves, believing that they are safe in the company of the righteous, but who have not embraced the living God in true faith. That's a mighty dangerous place in which to find yourself. It always amazes me and concerns me. Now, in order for you to try to gauge yourselves this morning, what I want to do is tell you a little bit about what A.A. Hodge had to say regarding this assurance of salvation that we enjoy. The assurance that we enjoy is the gift of God. It is a certainty. It is based on His promises, His grace, His Holy Spirit. But as you look at yourselves critically, as you consider yourselves individually, there are outward signs that you can look at to, ter- to determine where you stand with God. And this is what Hodge wanted you to consider in terms of true assurance and false assurance. Do you come this morning with sincere humility? Do you recognize that you've been saved by grace? Or is there a certain spiritual pride that you see well up within yourselves occasionally? Years ago, I had, I was privy to a, a disagreement between Christians. And I was a friend with both of them, and one of them prevailed in his, his arguments, his, his complaints against the other. And privately, he simply told me, you know, I, I just simply must have been holier than that man. That always bothered me to hear. That's a dangerous place to find yourself. But along with this humility, this this humble attitude as you come before God, do you find yourself diligently practicing true uh, true holiness? Are you really pursuing God? Hebrews 12, 14 tells us, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Are you pursuing this holiness? Are you trying to grow in Christ? Or are you slothful and indulgent? Are you, are you failing to read your Bibles as you ought to? Are you not engaging in prayer the way that you ought to? Are you not loving God's people the way that you should? Do you engage in truthful self-examination of yourselves? Do you desire to be searched and corrected by God. That's a tough one. But do you desire these things, or are you simply self-assured? And finally, are you, do you find yourself in earnest pursuit of fellowship with God? Do you want to enjoy His company in the garden as Adam did before he sinned, or would you find it necessary to hide from God? Now, these are some of the outward signs that Hodge identified that might help us as we consider this assurance of salvation that we've been gifted. When it comes to the assurance itself, it is a certainty. 
And it is something that we ought to know and we ought to possess and we ought to enjoy and we ought to rely on, the certainty that we are God's people. And when it comes to that, we go back to what the confession tells us. The basis for true assurance, according to the confession, and the grounds on which we base our faith in the assurance that God has given us, is the truth of God's promises as they are presented in Scripture. The importance of that is obvious to you. When Christ prayed the high priestly prayer immediately before going to the Garden of Gethsemane in which, at the time that he was arrested, he, had prayed for, he prayed for his disciples immediately there in John 17. And this is what he prayed. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. They had received the word of God. They had obeyed it, and they were blessed because of it. That was the disciples with Christ at that time, but he also prayed for us. He goes on in the prayer and says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. We have received God's word through those men, and that's what this is. That's what we enjoy now. And Christ recognized the fact that it is with this scripture that we've been brought to faith in him. What a blessing it is. So we have the truth of God's promises as the first grounds for our assurance. We have the evidences of grace that we also rely on. The fact that we own those graces, and they start with the fruits of the Spirit. They're love and joy and peace and patience, goodness and kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You all know that, but it goes beyond that. If you look in 2 Corinthians in chapter 1, this is what we are blessed with as well. Chapter 1, verse 12. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. That holiness and sincerity with which you come into this worship today is from God. That is one of the graces that we enjoy. That's the evidence of God's work in us. I turn over then to 1 Peter 2.10. And we see more of God's blessings for us. Two ten. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you received mercy, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. One of these assuring graces is recognizing the mercy that you have received from Almighty God. As I turn over a little bit further in 1 John 2, 3. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commandments. By his grace we have, have come to obey him and we love to obey God. And then finally in 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. This is one of the foundations on which the church is built. Belief in God and love of, of our brothers. 
Now, as you think about these assurances and the fact that we have built that assurance on the truth of God's promises and the evidences of grace that we have received from Christ, think about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke. It's Luke 18. And ask yourselves, am I going home justified today, as did that tax collector? But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. How do you deliver yourself into the presence of Almighty God? Now, the final grounds of our assurance, and to me the most important, is the testimony of the Holy Spirit. We are told in Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. When the Holy Spirit indwells you, he not only delivers to you the promises of God, the graces of Jesus Christ. But he is the seal. And when the Holy Spirit seals you, God will never turn you loose. Christ says, I will lose none of all that he has given me. And that is by the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells you as you're united with Christ. Now, there was one more, one more warning that I thought most appropriate. We teach the inerrancy of Scripture and all that it says, the, the, the perfect truth of everything that's right here. There is no error. There are some, though, that would believe they receive special revelation from God directly. A preacher named Williamson wrote that to claim assurance on the basis of the witness of the Spirit apart from or in addition to the Bible is to claim false assurance because it implies the insufficiency of Scripture. And that's the problem. I'm not trying to present to you the idea that God could not speak to you directly. But I will tell you that if you embrace that as Scripture... In place of this, then that, by implication, means that you must deny this to receive that. And that's also a mighty dangerous place to find yourselves. Don't do that. Danny told me a, a, a week or so ago about this new seven mountain mandate that this man has come with. Never heard of it, really. He, he explained a little bit of it to me. Apparently, this man received a private revelation from God that the church needed to go out and do seven things in order to facilitate the, the coming of the second coming of Christ. That man may be saved. I don't know. I don't know who the man is. His works will be burned up. They will not stand the refining fire. So as we go to close in this, God gives us assurance, a certain knowledge of our good standing with him, he brings our spirits into agreement with his spirit and word, that by his spirit and word. 
Now, God requires each of us diligence in this. If you want to enjoy the full impact, the full import of the Holy Spirit in your lives and the Word of God as He intends it for you, it requires diligence. So the Puritans used to love to paint word pictures, and they painted the, the, the picture of a tree, and that tree was the tree of assurance. Its foundation was the grace of God. The trunk of the tree is diligence, and the fruit is assurance. Be diligent in your pursuit of God. Work and work hard to come to God. And God will bless that. Now, it always helps me to create an acrostic for myself, a, a, a little word prompt that helps me to remember what I believe is important. In this case, the word prompt is, is tea. Have, have a glass of iced tea. Have a cup of hot tea. T-E-A. The T stands for the truth of God's promises. E is the evidence that you enjoy of his graces in your life. A is the abiding of the Holy Spirit, knowing that he will never leave you nor forsake you. So carry that with you and remember. The last blessings of grace that I would pass along to you before we close, is found in 2 Peter 1. I'll read to you verses 3 through 11. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that brings us then to the psalm that I want to leave you with as we close. Psalm 140 in the very last verse. Surely the righteous will praise your name, and the upright will live before you. Amen. John, will you come up here and Chilson? We'll give Clark the day off since he preached for us. <clears throat> Thank you, Clark, for that excellent word of God on the doctrine of assurance. Uh, I think one thing that can help us with our assurance is to try to focus on the fact that we 
are served by Christ. And that is one thing that this sacrament shows us. In the Gospel of John, chapter 13, uh, John tells us that, that on the Passover night, 